While preachers preach of evil fates, teachers teach that knowledge waits, can lead to a hundred dollar plates, goodness hides behind its gates. But even the President of the United States sometimes must have to stand naked. Advertising signs that con you into thinking you're the one, that can do what's never been done, that can win what's never been won. Meantime, life outside goes on all around you. A question in your nerves is lit, yet you know there is no answer fit to satisfy, ensure you not to quit, to keep it in your mind and not forget that it is not he or she or them or it that you belong to. That's an abridged take on Bob Dylan's It's All Right, Ma, I'm Only Bleeding from 1965's Bringing It All Back Home. And a set of words, a set of lyrics that I've returned to so often in my life. In that, I often get reminded of so many elements within that uh, fantastic song. In fact, funnily enough, if you're interested in the song, for me, the best version is on Before the Flood of 1974, the live album. But that's for Dylanologists. The importance, I suppose, of those words to me for this podcast and over the last few weeks is that in my conversations with photographers, I've started to identify, I think, what I feel to be a false narrative. What do I mean by that? I'm not really sure. I'm still trying to completely work it out. But I think I'm far enough along the line of working it out to kind of share my thoughts with you and to see how you feel about it. So here we go. The conversations I've been having recently have been with photographers who are successful. They've had books out. They've had exhibitions of their work. They're working on really exciting projects. They're feeling fulfilled by the photography from a very personal perspective. Um, At the same time, they're questioning how you turn that success into financial success and that's being seen as how do I get commissioned most obviously I suppose from a perspective of what's being referred to as editorial here's the false narrative everybody I've spoken to is achieving um, as I say success within the define or the definition, I should say, of the photographic community as defined by photographic competitions, some photographic magazines, uh, photographic portfolio reviews, the paid-for kind. Um, A cabal is what I'm going to describe it as, of people who are selling a narrative that success will be achieved from entering their competitions by attending the portfolio reviews and i suppose by buying the publication that's fine however the aesthetic that is being sold is relatively narrow and that aesthetic doesn't take into account where the work that's being created sits You're only ever going to be commissioned by people who commission work similar to the work you create. 
Therefore, it would seem to make sense. And what I've been saying to everybody recently is you kind of need to start working backwards. You need to be thinking, okay, if I want a client base, what is that client base going to be? Well, it's going to be defined by the pictures you take. It isn't going to be defined by a hope. And here's the other problem with the false narrative is that it also isn't going to be defined by the idea of winning a competition or appearing in a magazine. Unfortunately, so many of those people who commission, so many of those brands, those companies, design groups, advertising companies, whatever you want to you know, talk about as from a commissioning perspective, photo editors on magazines, they're not aware of those competitions. They're not aware of those exhibitions. They're not seeing them. So the narrative that is being sold is false. The hope or the desire uh, to be fulfilled isn't going to be fulfilled by following those rules. They can be fulfilled by thinking, and I hate the phrase, but I'm just going to use it out of the box. Tangential uh, thinking. I was talking to somebody the other day working on a project um, and it concerned underwater, um, an underwater subject. And the person was talking about it becoming a photo book and that would be seen and perhaps somebody would do an article on it and so forth. And that's great. Absolutely fantastic. But I instantly said, well, what about the British swimming team? What about the British diving team? What about a company that creates swimming pools? Maybe they'd be interested. Maybe they would support the work. Maybe we need to think outside of that photographic community. This kind of ties into something else. And, and, and as I say, these, these are just thoughts. They're not in any way um, uh, being put forward as a solution. But when I started out in photography, um, these company competitions didn't exist. The ease of creating a photo book didn't exist. And the ease of... Um, putting work up online to be seen also was not available to photographers. You didn't have a choice. You had to get out there, meet people, speak to people and find people and make them aware of what you were doing. So there was a time when the environment we currently see ourselves in photography was different. It doesn't have to be as it is now. And that narrative that is being sold doesn't have to be the only narrative in town. I could go into that in a, in a lot more detail, uh, and maybe I will later on. But for the moment, I just want to think or sort of focus on something else. Working with students and working with this generation of digital natives, the people who've grown up with um, the online presence being omnipresent and, and also being there you know the, they don't know the world without the internet talking to them it, it's very hard often to get them to pick up the phone to go out and meet people it's much easier to send an email a lot of that is tied in with anxiety to do with rejection or to do with um that feeling of getting something wrong I'm sure this isn't confined to students by any any means or to just generation, one generation, but it does seem to be prevalent 
in a certain generation at the moment. I think what we're also talking about here is the ease of of uh, submitting to an online competition, the ease of submitting um, to a portfolio review, of which increasingly now I'm starting to see these appear as online reviews. I saw one the other day, I think it was 65, 75 pounds um, for a relatively short period of time. And they were promoting it with the idea that 16% of people who had done it previously had been uh, content with what they'd got. It had met their expectations. Wow, 16%. I'd be closing the business down with that lower success rate. Anyway, I digress. That idea of being able to, to achieve the success is being sold by that narrative. And that narrative allows you to avoid that confrontation, to avoid that potential of rejection. And there is no doubt that working as a professional photographer, working as a photographer, uh, requires resilience, as it does in any trade. You've got to be resilient to be a plumber, resilient to be a, a boat builder. Somebody, somebody commented the other day, do, do I feel that professional photographers are special? Well, yeah, I do, just as I feel that anybody who puts time and effort and work into what they do um, to become a master, a craftsman, an artist, if you will, um, they're special as well. So that idea of this narrative of applying to competitions online, portfolio reviews, the reading of magazines, the reading of articles online allows many photographers to sit within a comfort zone, which actually isn't a comfort zone at all. It's a space which creates further anxiety and further confusion. My suggestion is, I suppose, to become aware of this, of this uh, false narrative and also to reject it and to see your own worth, the worth of your work, to research where that work goes and to deal directly with the people you want to support that work or to commission you. And be imaginative, be open-minded and don't rely on clicking online for success. I first came across uh, the work of this week's contributor to um, What Does photography mean to you um when i was waiting at the airport and uh, an email came through um saying that an article had been posted on the medium platform which i might be interested in and that article was written by john saveni and it was broken down into three parts concerning um his kidnap by a cartel in mexico it's very strong reading um i read through it as i was waiting for the airport uh, at the airport for the plane. And as soon as I got back here, I reached out to John to see whether he'd like to contribute. John's been taking pictures, teaching and writing about art and his own adventures for nearly 15 years. Born in Miami, he grew up in a home where he was encouraged to read, write and make art. His father was a painter and sculptor and his mother a feminist photographer and activist. Savani himself has never been shy about expressing his opinions on the issues of the day, and he's best known for his uncompromising photographs of Mexican prostitutes and portraits of Salvadoran gang members. Savani frequently speaks at universities across the Americas on structural violence, abstract expressionism, street photography, and frequently his own work. 
Um, He's worked for two newspapers on the Texas-Mexico border for the Associated Press and EFE News, the official agency for the government of Spain. He's photographed for newspapers and magazines in the United States, Mexico, Guatemala, El Salvador and Brazil, and been a guest at the Benedictine University, Illinois. He gives a lot of lectures and he's had at least 50 solo exhibitions, including shows in the United States, Mexico, Guatemala and Holland. He continues uh, to divide his time between the United States and various parts of Mexico and Central America. And as you're about to hear, he doesn't hold back with his opinions. Hello, Grant. This is John Sebney calling from Guatemala City for the moment. Uh, as you know, I move around a lot and I'm never home, but this is as good a place as any. And uh, I'm calling from a hotel room right next to my doctor's office, which is quite convenient. This is all by way of an introduction and not part of the five minutes you asked for. So, three. Oh, I wanted to thank you first for uh, taking an interest in my work. It's always flattering and it's always, it always makes me happy that people care. I would say photos don't exist without other people's eyes to see them. So it's getting started. Three, two, one, bang, let's go. Uh, one of the things that really interests me about photography is that it's still dangerous. It still makes people uneasy. And whether it's drug traffickers or thieves or police officers or whatever, it still has this power. You know, in the old days, they would kill poets, you know, because what they did had real power. Nobody would kill a poet now unless it was just an accident and he happened to be a poet. But you look back at Garcia Lorca and going much farther back than that, or singers like Victor Jara in Chile. And, and, and the art they made was so dangerous, socially dangerous, that, that it seemed worthwhile to kill them and end it, you know. Um, when I was a kid, and I was a punk rock kid, I grew up listening to The Clash and, and uh, the Ramones and all these groups. It, it was really a dangerous thing, too. It was really edgy and beautiful. But then it sort of lost its edge when Nirvana appeared, and then worse, Green, Green Day and now it's not dangerous anymore. Punk is sort of four chords played badly. But photography has been completely co-opted by photojournalism, Instagram, and in particular Getty, which is not so much photojournalism. They just want to hoard all the photographs ever created in the world so they can own them forever. Um, I'm not a fan of that attitude. Uh, in my personal case, I've faced a lot of danger. In uh, two, two, two things come to mind in particular, one of them recent, one of them older. In 2014, I was, I was targeted for death by uh, one, of the, one of the big gangs in El Salvador, which was quite frightening for a couple of weeks. Somebody decided they didn't like me and told everyone else in this gang of, I think, 60,000 people that I was working for the drug enforcement agency in the United States, which didn't really make me liked. And uh, I had to go to the head of the gang, who I happened to know, and discuss the issue with him and resolve it. And that, that, that came out okay. Uh, although I did get wound up with PTSD and all of that. Uh, in January on the 8th, I was this year, I was kidnapped by... Uh, uh, the, how would you say it in English? I'll say it in Spanish. The Cartel de Jalisco Nueva Generación is the new generation Jalisco cartel. 
from the Guadalajara area, right? But they're mostly working in Veracruz, and I, I wasn't really aware of it. Um, and I went there just for a few weeks, and all of a sudden these guys stormed into the house with guns and dragged us away. Me and a female friend of mine, and, and it was uh, about as bad as it can get. I mean, if you think about being kidnapped and tortured and all the things that happened to you, well, it was that and worse. But I, in the long run, I take both things as a compliment because these people are seeing what I do as dangerous, which grants it a power, you know, it grants it a, a certain power. But w I think that there's two worlds. There's the one where I take photographs, and there's the one where you and I and other people talk about photographs, and there's not a lot of overlap between the two. And for the people where I work, in the worlds where I work, uh, there's a lot of fear about what I do. They don't know what's going to happen to the, the photographs. They don't know what the reason for taking them is. And at the same time, police are terrified of photographs. And I think that's just great. I've never been a fan of authority. So to me, photography, in sum, is, is an edgy weapon against people who are scared and have reason to be scared and are bad. Uh, but it's also anti-authoritarian in many, many, many ways, unless you're working for Getty or the Associated Press or AFP or one of these agencies in which you toe the line and do what you're told. I rejected that a long time ago, and I will never go back. Listening to John there, it makes me realise um, what a strident um, episode it is this week. Um, as always, with the Shed Cask, uh, not planned to be. It's just a reflection on what's been going on in the week. Uh, and I thank John there for his um, his contribution um, this week. Uh, it's been a funny old week this week. Um, lots of kind of stuff going on. Some of it good and some of it not so good. But hey, that's just the way it is, isn't it? Um, looking forward to... Um, continuing working on the Ray Lowry film that's taken a little bit of a, a backseat over the last couple of weeks, combination of what of us waiting for the weather to improve, but also I've been finishing off um, a number of other projects. But anyway, um, that's it really for this week. Uh, I hope that that um, discussion point I began this episode with about this false narrative um, kind of hits home with some people. I know that when I put out a tweet about it, uh, it seemed to get a lot of traction. So maybe it is something that's worth uh, developing um, in uh, future episodes. I look forward to getting your response to that. Um, Twitter, always the most, uh, the quickest and the most accurate one to uh, engage in kind of brief conversation about. But as always, do please leave um comments about the podcast and ratings um wherever you're listening to us from and on as well um been a lovely morning uh this morning creating the podcast i hope wherever you are everything is good um but don't forget in the coming week take care mm -hmm.